Hello brethren, Brother Bob here again. First thing I want to say is thanks. I had over 750 downloads on my recent podcast, so I know, I know, those are not Joe Rogan numbers, but given the lackadaisical biblical condition of most churches, I was not expecting to see that many downloads from one podcast. Praise the Lord. Now, I know that a lot of you older believers hate technology, and there are dark, evil pathways running through the high-tech world. And I know that a lot of the true remnant believers like to stay off the grid. But I say, praise the Lord, the high-tech highway is also a way to reach a lot of believers in a way that is economical and long-ranging. This podcast is titled, Why Do You Call Me Lord and Then Not Do As I Say. Now again, please remember that the rebukes or shamings that I use in these podcasts are directed specifically at those cowardly, compromised shepherds who know what they should be teaching the sheep but refuse to. And it's also directed towards those cowardly, compromised sheep in the churches who cave into the ungodly pressures of their husbands, wives, or church buddies. As you all know, I'm not doing these podcasts to please people. So here's a new bit of information that I want to make you aware of. If you listen to my podcast, you already know that what my view is on the unbiblical made-up name Jesus. So from now on, I will completely remove the word Jesus from my podcast from referring to his name. Instead, use our Savior's real name, Yeshua, or his title, Christ. In the past, I still occasionally use the word Jesus to be gracious with those believers who were never taught our Savior's real name. I did that because I wanted you to listen to everything I shared in my podcast. I figured that if you use Christ's real name, Yeshua, right away, I would scare many of you off before you realize how genuine and sincere I am about sharing God's truths. So again, now that I have done over 50 podcasts and you know where I stand on truth, I will no longer be using the name Jesus when referring to my Savior. And I will also not be using the word Jehovah when referring to God. The word Jehovah is also a made-up, non-biblical name for God. Now, I have to live by my convictions. You live by your biblical convictions. Revelation 3.8 I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Now, I'm aware that there are a lot of you out there who were never taught what the Savior's real name is. And I know that our Heavenly Father is a gracious God. He understands that for the most part, sheep are dumb animals. And I know that because for many years I ignorantly used the fake name of my Savior. But now that I've been informed and you've been informed of his real name, you are accountable to God if you continue to call your Savior by a name that is not his. So I challenge you, either prove me wrong or just do the right thing. And don't worry about what other believers will think. Worry instead about what your Heavenly Father will think if you are ashamed of the name that he himself gave his son. Matthew one twenty one, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. I have explained numerous times in previous podcasts why our Savior's name is not Jesus. I have also explained the importance of the name Yeshua. Please listen to those podcasts. So now I have a different question on a different topic. How many of you listen to my podcast and do not believe that what I am sharing in these podcasts is biblically true because you researched it all for yourself and found out that I was wrong, or you do not believe what I'm sharing in these podcasts is biblically true because someone told you that what I was teaching was not true, and you believe them. And if you did take the advice of the person who simply told you that what I'm sharing in these podcasts is untrue, did they prove, using their Bible, that what I was sharing was untrue? Now, I know that there are a lot of believers in the church who sincerely believe that they are loving on Christ as he would want to be loved on. But I believe that most believers 
sincere as they might be, are not loving on Christ the way he wants to be loved on. Just remember, we cannot please the Lord, no matter how sincere we are, if we are not sincerely loving on Christ according to his word. Christ said that many times. John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and we will disclose ourselves to them. These are Christ's words, not mine. This isn't rocket science stuff, brethren. You see, there is a specific way that our Heavenly Father wants his children to show him that they love him. And the way to do that is by obeying those commandments he has given the church. I told you in my last podcast that if believers would simply choose to do the do's and not do the don'ts, their judgment will go well. And yet, for numerous silly or self-centered reasons, many in the church just do not see the importance of obeying many of God's New Testament church commandments. Again, this podcast is titled, Why Do You Call Me Lord? And Then Not Do As I Say. Christ himself asked the same question to those who followed him around as he did his ministry work in Israel. The English word Lord means master or authority in the Greek. Basically, Christ was questioning the sincerity of those who said they believed he was their master because they were not doing the things he told them to do. You see, these Jewish believers loved it when Christ directed his spiritual hammering on the Pharisees, but then when Christ directed it to his followers, they got angry and hated him. Again, Christ's simple question to his followers was, why aren't you doing what I tell you? If I'm your boss, why don't you do what I tell you? It would be similar to your boss or supervisor at work questioning your loyalty or dedication to your job if you never did the things they asked you to do. How long would your employer be pleased if you showed up at work and did not do the things that they asked you to do? How long would he be pleased? If I continued to make what-ifs and my company only needed what-fors, they would fire me. They might say, Bob, you show up on time, you work hard, you seem sincere, but you refuse to do as we tell you. So... We're going to have to let you go. But wait, I would say, I like being at this company. I enjoy the people. I enjoy the work environment. And I always show up on time. My employer would say, you might feel that way, Bob, but you are not doing what we ask you to do. This scenario is similar to the story in the Bible of the three men who had a tough but fair master who gave them some of his money, telling them to go out and do stuff with the money that made him more money. Seems like simple enough instructions, doesn't it? And yet only two of these men did as the master asked. The third man was so afraid of his fair but tough master that he did not obey him and it cost him severely. And the master in this Bible story represents the Lord. And the Lord is a good and fair master so long as we obey him. It's only when we disobey the master's commands that we run into trouble. Again, this podcast is titled, Why Do We Call Him Lord and Not Do As He Says? If you've been listening to these podcasts regularly, you know that I use a lot of Bible verses to back up what I'm sharing. And not only do I use a lot of Bible verses, I make sure that I am using those Bible verses in their proper context or in their proper application. You see, it's easy to pull Bible verses out of the Bible from anywhere and come up with all kinds of pious-sounding teachings that have little or nothing to do with biblical truth for the church age. If I wanted to, I could cherry-pick Bible verses from the Old Testament and do a podcast on the necessity of God's people tithing in the church age. Of course, to do that, I would have to ignore what the New Testament church doctrines are on giving, because the New Testament church doctrines do not teach a doctrine of tithing. Remember, tithing literally means to give 10% in the Hebrew language. So tithing in the Old Testament was a commandment about giving the Lord 10% of your stuff. If you disobeyed, you were committing a sin. That meant 10% of your crops, 10% of your livestock, 10% of your monies, and even 10% of your stocks and bonds. Now, I took some liberty there. I added the stocks and bonds. But you get my point. Sometime, 
Take a time and go back in the Old Testament and look up all those tithing verses. It'll just drive you nuts. There's so many things. And if, if and if we were doing all those tithing verses that the Lord commanded the Old Testament believers to do, we would have a real mess in the churches today. Could you imagine churches stuffed full of turtle doves, oxen, and big kegs of wine? Now, a lot of New Testament church pastors will preach about tithing, but they'll never take you back to the Old Testament to show you all those laws and regulations for literal tithing. So again, this podcast is titled, Why Do You Call Me Lord and Then Not Do As I Say? So here's a serious question. Since the Lord is a stickler about accurately obeying his commandments, and the Old Testament concept of tithing is not for the church age, is a believer in the church age in sin if they tithe, believing that they are commanded to tithe? Well, sort of, yeah. The Old Testament Mosaic law of tithing is not for the church age. However, I know that there are many in the church who are ignorant of God's truths for the church when it comes to giving. So that means a lot of believers think that they are being obedient to the Lord when they tithe, when in all actuality they are disobeying the Lord if they tithe. Now does the Lord want his children in the church age to be giving to the church? Absolutely. A believer today can give 1% or 10% or 50% or even 100% if they want to. There is no 10% requirement for giving. Here is a New Testament church commandment for giving. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. In keeping with your income means according to how much income you made the previous week. So according to God's New Testament church commandment about giving, the amount that you give can vary from week to week. If you had a good earnings week, you give more. If you had a smaller earnings week, you give less. If you didn't make anything at all, you don't have to give anything. Oh yeah, there is another commandment for the church age about giving. 2 Corinthians 9.7 Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know what tithing is? It's giving under compulsion. Because somebody up front, them pastors and shepherds, they like to put the pressure on you. They like to force you to give to 10%. They make it seem like if you're not giving to 10%, you are in sin. Sadly, I know of believers who foolishly believe their pastor's false teachings on the need to tithe, who borrowed money from someone to pay their weekly 10% tithing amount. And I also know of believers who paid their weekly 10% tithing amount using a credit card when they did not have any money that week because they foolishly trusted their church leaders who told them that if they did not tithe a specific amount every week, they were in sin. Those shepherds will answer for their biblical stupidity and their greed at the judgment seat of Christ. Brethren, when somebody starts teaching you stuff and they say it's of the Lord, trust no one but God. If they're not teaching you stuff out of God's Word, and if they're not accurately teaching you stuff out of God's Word that applies to the church, you need to ignore them. Isaiah 51.7, listen to me. You who know right from wrong, you who cherish my law in your heart, do not be afraid of people's scorn, nor fear their insult. Brethren, if you know your scriptures, and you know them accurately, you won't allow yourself to be bamboozled by your church leaders who try to push false narratives on you. I know that tithing, i.e. giving 10%, is not for the church age because I know my scriptures. Again, listen to these words in Isaiah 51.7. Listen to me, you who know right from wrong, you who cherish my law in your heart, do not be afraid of people's scorn, nor fear their insults. When a believer knows their scriptures, they could care less if other believers in the church who do not know their scriptures scorn or mock them for not following their unbiblical teaching. Jeremiah 17.5, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the believer who trusts in mankind and makes their flesh their strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. 
Let me give you a little example of what this verse is saying. I hear believers say that they seek after signs and wonders simply because they don't want to miss out on a blessing that the Lord might have for them. Even when they know that what they are seeking for or seeking after is not for the church age. Isn't that amazing? Brethren, when you seek for something that's not biblically correct, there is no way that the Lord is going to bless you. A Christian woman can seek with all of her heart to become a head pastor at a church and maybe even become a head pastor, but it was not God who blessed you with that position. Believers who think this way are relying on their fleshly thinking. Let me give you another example of what I mean. I personally know believers who see and then admit that the Lord is not doing anything close to signs and wonders that he did in your early church days with those apostles, who know that the New Testament church epistles do not teach or promote the idea that there are going to be signs and wonders in the church age today, who continue to foolishly believe that God will do signs and wonders, hoping that they do not miss out on any supernatural signs and wonders that the Lord might have for them, even though they know that the Lord is not doing signs and wonders today in the church age. Can you imagine it? I hope you understand what I just said. The born-again churches are full of believers who are believing something based on the thoughts and the desires of their flesh, hoping that God might do a supernatural wonder in their lives, even though they know that the Lord is not doing supernatural signs and wonders today in the church age. Now, does that mean that God can't heal people? No, God can heal people. God can do things. I'm sure there's places in this world where the Lord is still doing some unique stuff. However, for the church age, it's generally not happening. There's not going to be these massive amounts of signs and wonders going on in the church. It's not part of the church. In fact, I shared this a couple of podcasts ago. I really think we're in a spiritual dry time with God now, just like in the Old Testament. I think the Lord expects the church age believers to live by faith, to do what the written word says, to be about your father's business, to know them scriptures so you know what pleases the Lord, and to be doing them. Again, the born-again churches are full of believers who are believing something based on the thoughts and the desires of their flesh, desperately hoping that God might do a supernatural, amazing, marvelous, wonderful, amazing miracle in their life, even though they know that the Lord is not doing signs and wonders today in the church age, at least not the way he did them in the past. The believers I'm talking about who are looking for signs and wonders are looking for these thousands upon thousands of signs and wonders going on all around them. That type of faith is silly, ludicrous, and contrary to God's will. It is a faith made up from a fleshly mind. Now again, can God do amazing things? Yes. And can God heal? Yes. But again, as I share quite often, this is like a no-brainer, people. If there was just one person, not a thousand, not not ten thousand, if there was just one person who had the apostolic supernatural signs and wonders gift that Peter and Paul had... The YouTube channels and Facebook pages would be loaded with these amazing miracles that were taking place on the streets of the world. Again, I'm not saying you shouldn't seek the Lord for a healing, and you shouldn't ask the Lord for a miracle. You should ask Him for that, but don't expect to be some kind of a giant revival thing going on where all of a sudden a hundred people in your church are hovering uh, 20 feet off the floor, and there's sparks flying, and the windows are shaking, and and you know, and all this kind of stuff. It's not going to work like that. I'm telling you. Christ said it's a wicked generation that seeks after a sign, and yet thousands upon thousands of born-again believers do just that. Again, my podcast title is, Why Do You Call Me Lord and Not Do As I Say? Again, just think how spiritually blind you have to be to look around and see, i.e. know, that it is obvious that the Lord is not openly doing signs and wonders throughout the world today, and yet still believe that He will, even though the absolute proof is right there before your eyes that He's not doing that. 
A lot of believers are wishing for something to happen that God does not plan on doing. In fact, I'm going to tell you, be honest with you, the next signs and wonders you're going to see are by the Antichrist and the false prophets when he starts leading God's people astray because they didn't know their scriptures. Brethren, this type of blind faith and hoping to see signs and wonders all over the world and all the churches, even though it is not biblical, is what allows people to believe in the tooth fairy, the Easter bunny, and Santa Claus. Come on now. Put your spiritual thinking caps on. If the Lord promises to do signs and wonders in the church today, as many of you believe, why aren't they happening? Come on now. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure this out. There are not lots and lots and lots and lots of examples of signs and wonders going on at today's churches all over the world. Here are your two options. The God you believe in is a liar, or you are wrong about believing that there are supposed to be signs and wonders going on in today's church age. So which of these options are you going to choose? Isaiah 55, 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Brethren, the verse I just read is not saying that the Lord does things contrary to his written word. The Lord has and does do some amazing things that just do not make sense to us humans. However, the only way to know if those amazing things that are being done by the Lord are from the Lord is if they are biblical. Our God is not a God of confusion. Our God is not a liar. He says what he means, and he means what he says. So everything, and I mean everything, pertaining to what the Lord considers to be godliness and holiness and righteousness and purity, etc., 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 is found in his word somewhere. Second Timothy 3.16, all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the believer of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. That means everything. Everything necessary in our life to want to know how to please the Lord comes from his word, not from a dream we had in the middle of the night, not from some idiotic man who professes to be a prophet of the Lord who gives you some strange revelation that doesn't line up with scriptures. Everything pertaining to godliness and holiness and righteousness comes from his Bible. Brethren, it is not possible to go outside the boundaries of the scriptures to find new inspired church teachings or doctrines or new revelations from the Lord that have to deal with things like godliness, holiness, righteousness, purity, anything to do with church. You can't go outside the boundaries of the scriptures. Everything, it says, pertaining holiness and righteousness and godliness so that the man or woman of God can, can be complete in the Lord's eyes is found in the Bible. Now, with that said, do I believe that shepherds have the authority to go outside of the scriptures and make their own church rules and guidelines? Absolutely. They just cannot teach those new rules or guidelines that they came up with as though they were teachings of the Lord. I absolutely believe that the Lord has given his shepherds the authority to impose rules and regulations on the sheep that they believe are good for the church. Let me give you an example. The Bible commands Christian women to dress modestly and discreetly while wearing proper clothing. That's in 1 Timothy 2.9. Now the Bible verse above does not tell us exactly what modest and discreet is. And the Bible verse also does not tell us exactly what the proper clothing is for Christian women to wear. However, I have told you numerous times that the English word clothing in 1 Timothy 2.9 is the Greek word katastole, which means a long flowing garment. It's where we get our English word stole. It's like what Sherlock Holmes used to wear a stole. So with the information in this one Bible verse, the shepherds do have enough information to know that the Lord does want Christian women to look modest and discreet with whatever they are wearing, which means that the shepherds have the absolute authority to tell the women of the church to not wear skin tight or see-through dresses or blouses that are tight or body-hugging pants or leggings or cleavage-revealing blouses or short shorts or mini dresses, etc., 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 anytime. Not just in church, anytime. 
Remember, we're supposed to be a testimony, ladies, a public testimony. Shepherds, it's not legalism to set your own standards in the church of God. Again, just don't teach what you're teaching as being of the Lord. And because the shepherds stop enforcing modesty and discretion standards for the way Christian women dress, we are now to the point where it is no big deal if Christian women and their teenage girls or even their pre-teenage girls show up at a public swimming hole basically wearing nothing more than a bra and panties. Just think how far the church has fallen to have that to be tolerated in the church of God. So here's that verse, 1 Timothy 2.9. Simple verse, easy to look at. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to figure out some of this stuff. 1 Timothy 2.9, and I want women to be modest in their appearance. They should wear decent and appropriate clothing and not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair or by the wearing of gold or pearls or expensive clothes. Come on, ladies, right there it is. Just check yourself. Look in the mirror. And you husbands, before your wives leave the house and before your teenage daughters leave the house, see how they're dressed. If they are not dressed modest in the street, they are disobeying the Lord. Again, Christ asks, why do you call me Lord and not do as I say? In closing here, God's people must get serious about their lack of desire to obey God's church commandments. As I share quite often, I believe a lack of fear for God has desensitized God's people to the necessity of obeying the Lord. It's, it's a shame that it's gotten to that, but that's what it is. Brethren, these next verses are written to and for church-age believers. Please listen carefully. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers and mothers tried me by testing me, and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore I was angry with this generation. And I said, They always go astray in their heart, and they do not know my ways. As I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. I told you people, there are New Testament church warnings about born-again children of God not entering God's rest or His heavenly kingdom in eternity. There are going to be believers who are going to be kicked out. Christ said that. The Bible says that. Paul said that if you practice this type of sins, you're going to be outside the kingdom. That's a warning. Here are some more warning verses. Hebrews chapter 3 goes on, verses 12 through 19. Then be careful, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. We must warn each other day after day while it is still today, so that none of us become deceived by the hardness of our sin. For if we are faithful to the end, Trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we shall share in all things that belong to Christ. Remember what it says. Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. And who was it who rebelled against God even though they heard his voice? Wasn't it God's people, the people Moses led out of Egypt? And who for 40 years God was angry with? It was my people who sinned, whose bodies lay about the wilderness. And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath? that they would not enter his rest, wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. This unbelief they had was not that they didn't believe in a Messiah. They didn't, it didn't, this wasn't an unbelief that they didn't believe in a Redeemer. This unbelief was that they didn't believe God's commandments once they were children of God. Again, Christ said, Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? I want you to see that in these verses, even though God's people did not know their Lord, because they didn't know their scriptures, God said, hold them accountable. And not only did he hold them accountable, he held them so accountable 
that he let all the disobedient, rebellious men and women, adult men and women, die out there in the desert before Joshua and Caleb finally went to the promised land. Ouch. So much for the idiotic idea that God's grace is everlasting. Psalm 25:12. the person who fears the Lord will have God instruct them in the way that they should choose. Psalm 34, 8, oh, taste that the Lord is good. How blessed is the believer who takes refuge in him. Psalm 112.1, prosperity of the one who fears the Lord. Praise the Lord. How blessed is the believer who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Psalm 15.1-4, who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord, who may enter your presence on your holy hill. Those who lead blameless lives and do what is right, speaking the truth from sincere hearts. Those who refuse to gossip or harm their neighbors or speak evil of their friends. Those who despise flagrant sinners and honor the faithful followers of the Lord and keep their promises even when it hurts. Your friend in Christ, Brother Bob. Again, the only way to know a biblical truth from a biblical lie is to know your scripture. Can you get a hold of me at brobob4him at gmail.com. And I pray that God keep you and bless you if you are being faithful.